Hey everyone, so I'm back doing another quickie podcast because there's some things that I watched recently that I wanted to talk about that nobody else reached out to me about, so this is going to be a fairly short podcast, I don't expect it to be over 30 minutes in length, but eh, if I get on a rant, I get on a rant, but the next big podcast coming out is going to be the Peacemaker one, Dalton and Fahrenheit are planning on doing that one as another collaboration like we did for No Way Home, and down the road I assume people will want to come and talk about the Batman also on the podcast, so you have those in the future to look forward to, but let's get into the quickie now, and it's just going to be some movies that are in the mainstream a little bit, and then some indie films that I watched recently too that I want to get my thoughts on. But let's jump into this quickie. So I just saw the brand new Uncharted movie, and it was shit. Eh, it was just eh, whatever. So I'm somebody that grew up playing the Uncharted games. I love all four games combined. Nathan Drake is one of my favorite video game characters of all time. Nolan North is one of my favorite video game actors of all time. So you can imagine when I heard that Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg were cast in the leading roles. Yeah, I was kind of pissed off. I'm not going to lie. Tom Holland is one of those actors that I just can't see really doing anything else besides Spider-Man, and it's mostly because he doesn't really diversify his acting range, and also he was a little too young for this role when he was picked. I mean, Nathan Drake in the games is in like his 30s and 40s, but like Nathan Drake in this movie feels like he's 21 years old, maybe even 18, and it even makes it weirder considering the fact that Tom Holland is 25. It's just... A really weird casting choice, and definitely was one that did not resonate with most fans of the games, but Mark Wahlberg might have been the most egregious casting that was so bad people backlashed at it, because, yeah, it's Mark Wahlberg playing Mark Wahlberg, what did you expect? Now, I guess to kind of talk a little bit about my thoughts with the trailers and marketing in this movie, I didn't love that there were shameless ties to Papa John's, I didn't love that the marketing was really nothing like any of the games that had come out besides some hints of Uncharted 4, I didn't really love that the villains weren't original villains from the games, they were just kind of made up for the movie and they're extremely weak. I also didn't love how this had weird ties with like an NBA All-Star game, and they had a Super Bowl trailer for it that made it even worse. Just basically the only reason that they were trying to put this movie out there is because Sony needed a new independent title to come out and become a franchise, so that way they wouldn't have to rely on Spider-Man for more years to come. So they put Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg, two notable actors, in the leading roles. It's probably going to make them a ton of money, but if you're a fan of the games, you can't sit here and be kind of frustrated and pissed off that these were the choices they made. But hey, that's money you know so now let me get into the review of the movie itself. Well, like I said, Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg are far from Nathan Drake and Victor Sullivan. Like, I want to give Tom Holland some credit. He did play the Uncharted games and tried his best to feel like Nathan Drake, but at the end of the day, it's literally Tom Holland feeling like a thieving Spider-Man. There really is no range to his character. He doesn't feel like Nathan Drake in most of the scenes that he's in. And even when they try to play the really cheesy Uncharted music in the scene where he puts on the gun holster and everything, it literally made me roll the eyes in the back of my head because I just couldn't couldn't believe how bad he was as Nathan Drake. Well, I shouldn't say bad. He just wasn't Nathan Drake at all. Like, it was just Tom Holland playing a Spider-Man version of Nathan Drake. So, it's kind of bad in a way, I guess. But Mark Wahlberg, on the other hand, yeah awful as Victor Sullivan. Doesn't even try to capture Sully at all. He literally feels like he's kind of in this weird spot where he's an in-between. Like, maybe 10 years later he would have made a decent Sully. I don't know because Mark Wahlberg is 50 and Sully is in like his late 60s in the games going on 70. So, it would make more sense if they just waited to do this movie a while longer, find somebody else that was closer to Nathan Drake, and then maybe cast Mark Wahlberg. But, 
No, I think either way, Mark Wahlberg never really cared about this character. It's abundantly clear he didn't play the games or study any of the source material of the original game, because once Mark Wahlberg walks on screen, it's clear that he just wants to play himself the entire movie, he doesn't even try to feel like Sully, and most of the delivery of lines like kid don't even feel as natural as the original voice actor did it in the game. Now, something I guess I'll give the movie a little bit of credit for is I do kind of like some of the action sequences and the homages to the games, like the opening of the movie with the crates behind the jet airline plane. I thought that was pretty cool. It was a nice homage to Uncharted 3. I did like the pirate aspect of it because I do like Uncharted 4's pirate story. I do like the puzzle solving in it. It does feel very Uncharted-esque. I thought the music in it was pretty half-decent, and there were some good original tracks from the game that were interused here, but I really can't give the movie many more compliments besides that. Well, I guess the actress that played Chloe Frazier was pretty good in the movie. I won't lie, she did a pretty good job as Chloe. She had that double-cross nature that Chloe has from the games pretty well down. But that's as far as I'll give the compliments, because the rest of this movie is just kind of a slog of a mess. Like, because they don't choose to copy any of the plots from any of the Uncharted games, this movie feels really hollow. A lot of it feels like National Treasure. A lot of it feels like Indiana Jones. A lot of it feels like better heist movies that came before it. Like, there's even a moment in the movie where it tries to be like Ocean's Eleven at this auction scene, and it really doesn't understand how Steve Soderbergh crafted the first Ocean's Eleven as this really debonair and really well-written heist action movie. Whereas this this movie doesn't really seem to understand it. It's more like, oh, well, in those Oceans movies, a bunch of conveniences just basically helped them. No. In the Oceans films, they cleverly planned this out, and it was kind of the crux of the movie was how well this plan had to go, whereas in this movie, it's a bunch of MacGuffins and Ex Machinas that literally saved the day. It's just, it's really bad. I also don't really like the fact that the story doesn't really feel that engaging. Like, I would say by the middle chunk of the movie, I was getting extremely bored with it because the plotline was nothing like the games, and the original plot that they came up for themselves didn't really have enough interest for me to be hooked the entire time. The villains also in this are bad. I'm not gonna lie, Antonio Banderas is not a great great villain in this like he could have been but then the movie makes a weird choice with him late halfway through that i didn't really like and the villain that they have take over for him is just as bad in character and writing just the villains of this movie aren't good either the cgi is also not good i should mention like their cgi fire cgi explosions cgi planes for god's sake just like there are so many cgi different things in this movie that don't look good and it's kind of alarmingly frustrating because considering the amount of budget this movie had you would have thought that oh they're gonna put a lot of budget in into the CGI and stuff, but no, it, it looks like pure crap, and it kind of is pure crap. There's product placement in this movie, go figure, there are Sony products, there's Papa John's, there's various liquor companies that very much signed on to this, there's a whole boat liner company that signs on at the ending, just basically like, this movie was product placement the movie, and it's kind of shameful considering that the Uncharted games themselves never had product placement, sure, there'd be Sony products in there, in the fourth game you do have uh, Nathan Drake optionally play Crash Bandicoot on his PlayStation, but it's never like it was in your face, whereas this movie is. One thing that I also don't really like about this movie is kind of how it ends. I mean, I get it. They're basically setting up a sequel, but it's a little more frustrating because what they set up for the sequel should have been what this movie was. So some minor spoilers going ahead if you don't want to hear about the post credit scenes of this movie. I warned you. Three, two, one. Here we go. So the post credit scene of this movie is setting up the Nazi submarine plotline from the first game, and it very clearly is talking about Roman, who was one of the villains from, I believe, the first or second game, which is even more confusing considering why would they have Roman be the villain of this when he wasn't the villain in the first game? Is anybody else kind of confused like me? Why would they put Roman in the first game's plotline? Because it just doesn't... 
you get what I'm saying here. It's a bad idea, but it's more frustrating because they set up the plot of the first game at the post credit scene in the movie, and Mark Wahlberg looks a little bit more like Sully in the post credit scene, but it's still Mark Wahlberg, clearly. But for the most part, this choice feels really bizarre because this movie's first entry should have been the game's first plot, and because it isn't, it just feels really hollow and frustrating in the fact that Sony acknowledges that it should have been the first uh, the plot the f- the first game's plot should have been the plot of this movie, but obviously it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, this movie's not very good. I think I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10 just to be fair with it, but it could fall to a 4 out of 10 later on because I am very much disappointed as a fan of the games of what this movie turned out to be, but it's making a shit ton of money right now. There's already a greenlit sequel, I imagine, coming down the railroad. Am I going to see it? I don't know. I really hope that Tom Holland grows into this character more, or at least can try to feel more like Nathan Drake. I know Mark Wahlberg's not going to feel like Sully, so what's the point? So I kind of have some hope for this franchise going forward, but there's also the cynical part of me that's like, no, Sony does not care to make these anything like the games. So here we are. 5 out of 10 could be a 4 out of 10. Let's move into the next movie. So I just watched Psycho Pebble's new Adult Swim show, Smiling Friends, and I got to admit, it is a damn good show. Now, Zach Hadell is one of those YouTubers known as Psycho Pebbles, as a lot of people know. He has a very unique art style, and what he used to post on YouTube was great because he used to blend 2D and 3D animation styles pretty well. And Michael Cusack, his co-creator on the show, also wanted to come in and help a little bit make this, and you can tell that the two of them were very passionate about this project when it was made. One thing that I got to say about Smiling Friends that impresses me right off the bat is it doesn't feel like the recycled garbage of other Adult Swim shows. Like, one thing that I didn't really like about Adult Swim and most of its programming is that it became heavily reliant on stuff like Rick and Morty and Robot Chicken, and any other shows that came out in that vein either felt like Robot Chicken ripoffs, Rick and Morty wannabes, or just edgy content sake for the, uh, for the sake of being edgy. One thing that I kind of liked about this show is it was very unique, and it did feel like something Zach Hadell would create, because I love the animation of the show and I love everything about it. I think Pim in the show, based, uh, voiced by Michael is really good in this. I like how he's this optimistic, big, wide-eyed character that really is trying to find the positive in everything, whereas Zach Cadell plays Charlie, who is always more of the cynical side of everything, which I love. Their dynamic does carry a lot of the best jokes in the show, and I do love the adventures that they go on trying to get people to smile. There's a character called Mr. Boss that's quite creepy, and when I looked up what his actual name is, it's Mr. Boss Baby, which is kind of funny within itself. I also do like some of the other side characters in the show. I also do think it's kind of funny that each of the episodes do feature a famous internet voice cameo. As a lot of people know in the first episode, Mike Stolaska shows up and he plays Desmond. David Firth is in the episode where he plays Shrimp. There's a lot of great voice actor cameos across the internet that I think a lot of people will enjoy more if they watch this show. And it is kind of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge. Zach does realize, like, hey... These are the origins I came from. Here's what I'm going to put in the show. The people that got me as big as I am now. So, I got to admit, this show is a lot of fun. Some of my favorite episodes were the Mr. Frog episode. I think that's probably the funniest episode of the entire series, and I would just highly recommend watching that one. I also like Charlie Goes to Hell. That's a pretty funny episode, and I will admit that one had me kind of busting out laughing. And the episode with Shrimp is pretty funny, too. I won't admit, there is not a bad episode in this show. There is nothing but good episodes. I think I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 for now, because I'm so impressed with how well made it is and it is one of the better adult swim adult animated comedies that's come out in a while so i would recommend checking it out it's literally like an hour in length which i think is what blew me away is it's only that long in content wise and i think it's only eight episodes so maybe the second season will come out sometime this year or maybe they'll wait till next year but either way i want more of this show it's pretty good nine out of ten 
I have also now seen The Tragedy of Macbeth twice, and I gotta admit, this movie is great. Now, I know that one of the big criticisms right now with this movie is a lot of people are like, well, it doesn't feel like a Cohen movie, but that's kind of the point. I don't think a lot of people realize. Like, first off, I get it. If there are people that just want to watch a Coen Brothers movie for the formula that they do and knowing like, hey, this is what the Coens are good at. This is the type of movie I come to see. I didn't come for this. I came for this. I completely understand that. But as somebody that likes it when a director doesn't always commit to his style when he branches out to do something different, I really got to commend Joel Cohen for going out of his comfort zone and making something that doesn't feel like he would have made it. Because this movie feels like it could have been made by a whole different director. Like, even Robert Eggers could have tackled something like this with how deep its themes are. But it amazed me because it just shows how great of a director Joel Cohen is and why he's one of my favorites and his brother of all time. Now, I know that a lot of people would be like, well, isn't that kind of bad for a director to change his style to contain his movie? Well... Yes and no. Like, one thing that frustrates me about Wes Anderson is that all his movies feel the same after a while because of the way he has it very stylized and dry humor-wise, and his formula is very reminiscent, but they're still good movies. It just frustrates me that his movies never really seem to go leaps and bounds above the other. It always feels like they're in that same zone. Whereas a director like Joel Cohen is not afraid to go out of his comfort zone and make something that maybe audiences wouldn't have liked or understood why he went for it, but deep down, Joel is doing something great for the love of cinema which is making something wholly different. Now, I know that I've ranted about how much I love this movie and don't agree with the criticism that it's too different from his other works because I got to talk about Denzel first and foremost with this before anything else. Denzel Washington has been on a skid for a while. He has made a lot of bad movies, and I will admit, you can tell he does not give a shit about the bad movies that he makes. When he's doing a bad movie, he's phoning it in. He doesn't give an ounce of try in the script or anything, but when he gets his hands on a good script... It's like raw Denzel acting on screen. And what we have here is another raw Denzel performance. He plays Macbeth so well in this movie. And I got to admit, even the emotionally heading scenes in this movie, even some of the smaller action scenes in this movie, even the deeply thematic moments of this movie, he carries it across so well in not only his facial range, but in the way he expresses himself and even commits to the dialect. I love everything about Denzel in this movie. He is my lock personally to win the Best Actor Oscar this year. I know a lot of people want to see Benedict Cumberbatch win for The Power of Dog, but I want to see Denzel get his third Oscar and be up there with the likes of Daniel Day-Lewis and Jack Nicholson. I really want to see him get this Oscar so bad after seeing this performance. And Frances McDormand is great in this too as well. Obviously, she knows what material she's working with. I assume her and Joel went over it many months before making it, and she very clearly fits into the role in this movie. And I love everything about the universe too. I love the setting, the stylization of it, how heavy the themes get in this movie. I love how it takes little inversions and twists on the Macbeth storyline and everything. I just love this movie for being wholly different from Joel's other works and also being one of the nicest looking movies that's came out this year the cinematography nomination i don't know if it got it but heavily deserved if it did but i'm gonna give this an 8 out of 10 because i just thoroughly enjoyed it that much the next movie that i want to talk about is death on the nile and it was it it certainly didn't have enough champagne to fill the nile like it said Death on the Nile is the sequel to Murder on the Orient Express, another Kenneth Branagh project, and there also is an original Death on the Nile movie and an original Murder on the Orient Express movie. 
I would just recommend going and watching the originals of both of those movies because honestly, they are leaps and bounds better than these two. Now, I don't want to say that the first Murderer on the Orient Express was a bad movie because honestly, it is pretty solid. It just is very predictable in some areas. You can tell some of the cast doesn't really care to be there and Kenneth kind of does make you lose interest in the movie a middle chunk through. But I will admit with this project, it's the opposite of that. It's not interesting. Most of the cast is not very good in this, and the actual, like, twist of it is very predictable from the start. That's what bothers me a lot about it. Unless you care about spoilers for this movie so bad, then don't listen to the rest of it, because I'm just going to kind of spoil it as I go through the good and the bad of this movie, but here we go. Three, two, one. So Death on the Nile is one of those movies that tries to make you from the beginning think, oh, it's not going to be Army Hammer and his girlfriend. There's no way, because he's going to get married to Gal Gadot, and he's going to play up the whole, oh, my bride was murdered angle and everything, and he's going to be one of the victims, but it's abundantly clear from the first frame when... He's dancing with his girlfriend and Gal Gadot comes on into screen that the two of them have been setting this whole thing up and are going to kill Gal Gadot and try to get away with her fortune. It's very apparent. Like, I was somebody that sat there and went, yeah, if you're somebody that's read the book, you already know. But as somebody that hasn't read the book and was just watching the movie and how it was being adapted, I was like, ooh, they put way too much emphasis on Army Hammer and his love interest in the movie. I really don't like that. But I also have to say the acting in this movie is not great from some actors. Like, Army Hammer... I don't know what happened to him. Like, I get it. He is a pretty terrible guy for some things that he's doing right now. But did he just fall off a cliff as an actor? Like, I remember when he was in some pretty decent stuff. But, like, he just fell off. Like, he gives some of the worst crying in this movie. Some of the worst, like, in-your-pain facial expressions in this movie. The way he delivers dialogue is really clunky. And I don't know if that has to do with Kenneth Branagh's script. But a lot of the dialogue in this movie is clucky. Clucky, clunky. Russell Brand is also in this movie, who hasn't made a movie in God knows how many years and does YouTube now. It's not good in this. You can tell it's been a while since he's acted. Like, any dramatic moment in this movie is just laughably bad coming out of his mouth. The rest of the supporting cast ranges from decent to, eh, like, eh, most of the cast is pretty much what it is. They bring back a character named Book from the original movie, who's just kind of there to be, like, the assistant, to be, like, the Watson to the Holmes version of Hercule Poirot, and he doesn't do a whole lot. Like, he has a twist in the third act, and then he's just killed off because why not? And I'm sure it's in the book, but it feels really odd and unnatural. But the biggest piece of this movie that does not work at all is Kenneth Branagh as Hercule Poirot. I never liked his really bad French accent. I never really liked how over the top and goofy he looked. I never liked anything about this character from the original. I thought that Kenneth playing the actual detective was a a little bit narcissistic to not only direct it and cast himself in the first role, but to also see that he was putting on an accent that was pretty terrible. Like, nah, this just did not work for me. And it doesn't work through a lot of the movie. When he tries to be dramatic, when he tries to be angry, when he tries to be a good detective, like, all of the dialogue and delivery that comes out of this really bad French accent does not really make me like the character that much, and it doesn't really have me resonate with the rest of the cast when they're being interrogated by him. It also looks just downright ugly. Like, it's mostly all CG. It's a CG Nile. It's CG backgrounds. It's a CG pyramid. I wouldn't even be shocked if parts of the boat itself are CG. Like, a lot of this movie is clearly just CGI trying to fix some of the more impressive elements of the movie. Like, the inside of the boats and stuff are clearly practical sets, but I can't say the same for the outside. The rest is really bad green screen. Like, where did the rest of this budget go besides the very big cast? You can tell they thought CG would save it, and it didn't. The twist itself is predictable. The characters are all kind of shit in this. Hercule Poirot is shit in this. Most of this movie is shit. 
I think I'm just going to give it a 4 out of 10 because I just want to give it the benefit of the doubt because it was delayed for so long. And you can tell, like, people are trying in this movie, the few that are. And you can also tell that, like, from a production standpoint, it wasn't thrown together. But that's as much as I'll give it because, as it stands, this should be a bad movie, like a 3 out of 10. But I'm going to give it a 4 out of 10 just for benefit of the doubt. So I just saw the new DCEU show, Peacemaker. And I got to admit, yeah... It's about what you'd expect. It's good. It's very James Gunn, but it's certainly got some problems with it. Now, I will say, this podcast was supposed to be a collaborative one. I know that I promised that at the end of the last podcast that I did with Dalton, that don't worry, we're going to do a collaborative podcast for Peacemaker and talk about how good it is. But then I got into some talks with Dalton and Fahrenheit. It both kind of seemed like Dalton really didn't want to talk about it, and Fahrenheit never really reached out like he really wanted to talk about it. So I just figured that I'd kind of talk about this one on my own because down the road, me and Fahrenheit are definitely doing the Batman together. So I decided to sit down and talk about this one with some other people before I got into it. And I got to admit, there isn't really a whole lot to say about this show because while there are some glaring issues with it, it's just so good that there really isn't a whole lot to say about it. And I think that's kind of like a sigh of relief for Warner Brothers right now is they just want something good that isn't too controversial and that isn't going to create a lot of discourse and discussion. Because if you take a look at like The Book of Boba Fett, which is a borderline bad show, I mean, I'm just going to say right now, it is a bad show. It has gotten so much discussion around it because it's just simply bad. Or if you look at a show like WandaVision that had a really controversial ending and a really controversial twist in its message, that got a lot of talk around it because of how bad it was, you know? It's like, there's just this trend going on now where, like, newer shows are coming out, and the reason they're getting so talked about is either because they're really bad, or they just have writing choices in some of their episodes that people can't see how they're able to, uh, how they were able to pull something like that off. But it's kind of the opposite with Peacemaker. There isn't really an episode in this show that's badly written or has bad messaging in it, whereas in, like, some of the Disney Plus shows, there are episodes that are really badly written, or the entire show itself is just bad, you know? So this is kind of a strange medium for me to be in, where this show is good, and there's just not really a whole lot to say about it besides it's good. I mean, first off, I will say, this show does a lot of great things in it, like building up these characters to be a lot more than just what they were at face value in The Suicide Squad. Christopher Smith in this definitely does feel like a deranged psychopath in some areas, but the show more or less lets us explore his origins, how fucked up his white supremacist dad was, how he was basically manipulated and trying to find true peace, about how his morals are so flipped backwards because of the world that he knows. But one thing that I like about the show is it takes Christopher Smith's more fucked up persona and actually turns it into a character dynamic, which I kind of love that he goes from realizing all the terrible things that he did were wrong to actually wanting to kind of be morally good again, only in the finale to realize that sometimes achieving true peace means that you have to do dirty things to get to that peace. And that's kind of what I like about it is despite the fact that Peacemaker may become inherently good by the ending, or at least somewhat good, he still does realize that achieving true peace does mean cutting corners and doing the bad things sometimes, which I honestly kind of love for his character, I'm not gonna lie. I also thought some of the minor characters in the show really had some great things here too, like Diebeard from the Suicide Squad learns to grow and make friendships. Uh, James Gunn's wife in the show isn't just a badass female protagonist in the show. She actually has a lot more depth to her, and you understand some of the reasons that she has insecurities in the way that she grows with characters like Christopher Smith, learning to understand and enjoy the group activities more as a family. And Adebayo in the show is honestly one of the best characters. I really like how she's dealing with the fact that Amanda Waller is her mom, and she has to be undercover during this whole thing, but 
but she really wants to grow into a friendship with Christopher Smith and see if it is true that sometimes these deranged psychopaths that Amanda Waller talks about are actually human down underneath, and maybe there's a lot more to them than meets the eye, which is why I'm glad in this show she doesn't just quickly dismiss Christopher Smith as just some crazy psychopath like her mom does. She actually learns to explore him a little bit more, understand where he comes from, his origins and all that, understand him better as a human being, which is ultimately why she forms a friendship with him in the end. I also thought Merv was really good in this show, too. He's one of the butterfly twists in the show, and honestly, you could tell from, like, the first time he's brought on frame, he probably is a zombified butterfly. But one thing that I really like about his character is he really added a lot of great deadpanness to the show, but also he added some leadership qualities in Peacemaker that I think was really well set up with his character. I also gotta admit, the villains of the show are kind of fun. It was really cool getting to see the cop from Terminator 2 in another villainous role. He does a really good job as the White Dragon, and you really hate him even from the first frame that he's on screen. I also thought the butterflies were kind of good antagonists of the series. I really liked everything that went on with that. And yeah, the action's really good too. I mean, there isn't really a whole lot more to say because the character writing is just so strong. The action is just so good. And yeah, that's what you should expect from a James Gunn show. Now, what are the negatives of it being a James Gunn show? Well, there is kind of an issue that I've been noticing more with James Gunn as time has gone on, and it's he really, really likes to overstuff his stuff sometimes with too many jokes. One thing that I like about The Suicide Squad is that towards the end of the movie, the jokes lessen and it becomes more thematic. Like, could you imagine if they were cracking jokes during the Starro sequence with all the rats? It would have felt too comic bookyish, not comic bookyish, but too MCU-ish in a way, you know, to ruin a moment like that with a joke. This show definitely has some MCU-ish problems like that. Like, there's a great moment in the show where Christopher kills his dad, and Vigilante comes in and cracks a joke, and it's not funny. And then there will be moments of reflection with Peacemaker, and Vigilante will walk into frame and crack a joke. Or, characters will be trying to have a really serious discussion, and jokes are everywhere. And there are some jokes in the series that just go on for too long, or James Gunn thought that this meme that's irrelevant would have been really funny and stuff, but the jokes in this are just way too much. And honestly, they do drag a good portion of the writing in the show sometimes because of how overstuffed they can be. And Vigilante, I know a lot of people like this character, they think he's cool, they think he's quirky and funny, I did not really care for this character. Honestly, I didn't want to see him die or anything because I hated him that much, but I kind of wish he was less involved in the show as time went on because he literally did just become the MCU quip-mobile. He literally, all he does is quip, quip, quip the entire series, and it just got really annoying after a while. Another thing, too, that I didn't really like is how the show also introduces the butterflies kind of a little bit late. Like, the first three episodes definitely focus on discovering that mystery, and once the butterflies do come into the show, it is kind of satisfying watching it, but the way that they're eventually brought into the show just felt kind of clunky to me, especially because the show was also setting up Peacemaker's dad to be a villain at the same time. I don't know. The setup for those moments felt kind of messy. But I will admit, the show does pick up in the second half a lot more. I noticed one thing when I was talking with a lot of friends is they stopped after the first three episodes and said, nah, it's just really cringy jokes. It wasn't for me. And I think that's kind of the problem with James Gunn is that sometimes setting up his movies and stories can turn off a lot of people because it's just a lot of quippiness and they won't get into the heart of the character writing until about halfway through the movie, or in this case, halfway through the TV show. But overall, I will say Peacemaker is still a good time. Would recommend you guys check it out. I think I'm going to give it like a 7 out of 10. It was at an 8 out of 10, but I think I'm going to leave it as 7 for now because... 
honestly, the jokes and some of the writing problems with it a little bit, and sometimes the way it set things up kind of bugged me, but this is still a good show. I would definitely recommend watching it over something like WandaVision or uh, The Book of Boba Fett, so definitely go check it out because of that, and this is honestly a good step in the right direction for DC. I'm hoping the Batman is a better step in the right direction, but this was a really good step in the direction for DC. So, Thank you guys for listening to this quickie podcast. I'll see you next time with the Batman with Fahrenheit.